Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I've been out for a few weeks. Good to be back. I appreciate so much for, uh, appreciate your prayers, first of all, for our short-term team as we were able to travel to Moldova uh, and do some work there with our partners there in the capital city and surrounding villages there in that uh, country. Uh, So much work that's being done there. We're grateful for that, and it's good to be able to participate in that and see what the Lord's doing. Uh, but it's good to be back. I appreciate uh, Pastor Jeremy and Stephen Mason for filling in these last two Sundays as they preach God's Word to you, I'm sure faithfully and in a way that was helpful and encouraging and edifying. And so it's good to be back with you, though, this morning. Uh, I always miss being with, with our family, and uh, it's good to always come back and see your faces and enjoy your company. You know, the strange thing is when we went to Moldova, uh, we arrived there on a Saturday, and that next Sunday, they had a presidential election in that country. There was, I don't know, a bunch of candidates, and it boiled down to them doing another runoff election today, but it made me think, I can't escape elections. I traveled to Moldova to do gospel ministry, and there, all over the place, is yet another election. Well, this morning, we were scheduled to look at James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, but in football terms, I've done an audible. Uh, As I lived throughout uh, this past week, and as I thought about our passage, and as I thought about just the ongoing conversation and the ongoing uh, response even to this week's election here in our own country, I was constantly distracted and constantly pulled uh, to thinking about what should we as Christians be saying and how should we be responding. And so this morning, I wanna speak really as a pastor, not that I don't speak as a pastor most weeks, I do, but just just wanna speak to you on a level of uh, concern and hope. I wanna speak uh, from things that have been stirring in my own heart Uh, These are things that I really feel and believe that the Lord has uh, prompted me and led me to share with you today. I think no matter who you are in this room and no matter from what perspective or political standpoint you come from, all of these things are truths that we all are called to embrace and respond to. And so I hold them out for us as not just reminders this morning, but as things that we are called to as Christians. If you're new to our congregation, our normal pattern is not this. Our normal pattern is to take a piece of scripture, a section of scripture, and to do expositional teaching where we will unpack the meaning of a text and help apply it to our lives as Christians. That's our normal diet. We've been making our way through the book of James as we've been doing that, and that's what we'll continue to do. Uh, This morning's a little different. Uh, This is more of a topical message. We're gonna be looking at a lot of passages of scripture. There's no notes on the screen, so just forget the screens. You can look here and listen and and hopefully uh, take notes uh, as we walk through many of these passages together. Uh, My prayer is that you would listen. I'm preaching these things out of risk of being misheard. I know full well some of you will hear me this morning and some of you will not hear me this morning. But I'm willing to take that risk because I think it's too significant of a moment for us as Christians to not respond in a way that God has called us to. And so I'm asking for you to listen 
by the presence of the Holy Spirit with open ears and with charitable hearts, knowing that what we say this morning and what we hear this morning is, is God's truth to be now applied to a situation in our country and our lives specifically as Christians and as the church. That's my hope and my prayer is that we would be instructed and that we would respond faithfully as the bride of Christ for the glory of God. Let's pray with that in mind. Father, we now come before you asking for your help, asking for hearts that would be reflective of your holy character. Father, we know that apart from you we can do nothing and we know how desperate we need your Holy Spirit. And so Father, we now pray that you would come and give us guidance and give us instruction and give us help as we think through the lens of your word so that we would be your light shining in darkness. Father, there's been so much darkness and so much ugliness and so much foolishness God, would you help us to be your people that love you and that represent you well. So speak to our hearts now, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Early this past Wednesday morning, the nation found out who would be its next president. For many folks, it has been quite a surprise. And the response has been quite a mix from celebration to protest. What this election has done for me is it has shed further light on the division that continues to plague this nation. Not because of a president, but really what it's done is it's served to expose the reality of human depravity that's prevalent in all of our hearts. So there has been surprise in the outcome and in how things have gone, but I think what has been a bit of shock to me is how this election has divided so many evangelical Christians, whatever evangelical means now. No election that I can think of, and I'm sure that those of you who are older and wiser than I am could probably think of, no election has created such a dilemma for Christians as ever before. I think this election has been both good and bad for the church. It's been good in that it's forced Christians to think beyond political affiliation. While Jesus created both the donkey and the elephant, I'm pretty convinced that he rides neither. It's been good because it's forced Christians to consider the value of moral character in public office. And it's forced us to think more biblically about issues such as life, immigration, welfare, and a host of other things. So it's been good because it's pushed us. It's pushed us to think more biblically, not politically. But it's also been bad. It's been bad because I believe that it's given Christians, no matter which side of the spectrum you fall on, it's, it's given Christians a platform to reveal and expose the ugliness that's in the human hearts. 
And that is true if you're a Republican or a Democrat or anything in between. Especially in our response to this election, we have seen so many different things exposed. It's revealed to me that there is still a struggle for Christians, myself included. There's still this struggle for us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Regardless of how we might have voted this past week, we've said some really foolish and ungodly things. My goal today is very simple. I have no desire to critique your votes, but I do have a desire to hold forth God's word and let it critique your hearts. I wanna speak as a pastor of a congregation made up of Republicans and Democrats and independents But most importantly, I wanna speak as a pastor of a congregation filled with blood-bought men and women who've been adopted into the same family by God's grace. So how do we as the church move forward in a country that is so divided and, and even so divided in the church? Do we just go and make our own distinct congregations that are, this, this is a conservative, Republican church, this is a moderate Democrat church, this is a third party church, this is a confused church, we don't know what we are. Is that what we do? No, I don't think so. How do we respond as Christians? How do we live alongside of each other when we might see things differently? Well friends, I wanna suggest four biblical responses that we are all called to, no matter how you voted. All four of these responses, we could, we could list 10, but we don't have time for four. Four biblical responses that we are all called to, no matter how you might have voted, no matter how you might view the election, no matter how you might view anything political, these are four biblical responses that we all have as, uh, responsibilities that we all have as Christians. And so my prayer is that we would hear these and walk in them. They're, they're simple. No rocket science here. Just simple reminders. Number one, we must trust God. We must trust God. After receiving a vision from God concerning a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, Daniel prayed this. Daniel chapter two, verse 21. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets them up. Daniel prayed this prayer in the context of an evil regime while he was in exile. I don't intend to sound cliche But friends, this is what we are called to. We must first and foremost trust God. Either God is sovereign or he is not. That same truth is as much true today as it was eight years ago when President Obama was elected to office. God 
sovereignly put President Obama into office just as God has sovereignly allowed President-elect Trump now to be elected to office. God in his sovereignty raises rulers up and he brings rulers down. Nothing, nothing happens outside of God's sovereign control. Now, for us to speculate why God raises up certain rulers is difficult and probably shouldn't be our business. Sometimes God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And to speculate in the mind of God is, is dangerous territory. I've heard Christians say, this is an answer to prayer. This is, this is God's doing. It's, it's a great thing that he's done. And I've heard others, other Christians say, this is God's judgment upon us. He's given us exactly what we've asked for, and it's not good. Well, who are we to believe? Friends, America is not the second Israel. We should never conclude that. And we should never conclude that the promises given specifically to the nation of Israel are always applicable to us as a nation. It's just not true. However, we can see even in Israel's existence, by example, that there were kings who walked in the ways of the Lord and there were kings who did not walk in the ways of the Lord. There were kings who did what was right and there were kings that did what was evil, but all of them, all of them were sovereignly allowed and raised up by God. He ruled over them all. Friends, if you are concerned about a Trump administration, I have good news for you. Donald Trump is not sovereign. If you are glad about a Trump administration, I have a reminder for you. Donald Trump is not sovereign. God is sovereign. And we are called to trust him. Friends, I think that we on both sides have given this one man way too much credit. Some act as, as if he's America's savior, make America great again, whatever that means. While others think that he is the nail in America's coffin. Christians think this. Christians on both sides are thinking this. Friends, he is neither, he's only a man and our hearts must not trust in a man. Our hearts must trust in the sovereign one who rules over all creation. We need to trust God. That's where we begin. Just a reminder, newsflash for all of us. We need to trust God. If you're despairing over the results, trust God. If you're rejoicing over the results, don't trust in what humanity can accomplish, trust God. Number two, love others. Read from the book of Titus. Chapter three. Titus chapter three, beginning in verse one. Paul writes this, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people who vote like them. That's not what the text says. To show perfect courtesy toward all people. 
period. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, I love those divinely inspired buts, don't you? But, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. Listen to what he says next. And I want you to insist on these things. This is is my Instruction from the Lord this morning. I feel like that God's wanting me to insist on these things. I'm insisting on these things this morning. Because God insists on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. You know, I read that. And I have to be honest, while I have seen glimpses of humility and gentleness and love in the aftermath of this election, I have seen more anger and more foolish talk than not. I've not seen much courtesy toward all people. I've seen arrogance, I've seen pride, hard-heartedness. Friends, I have been grieved and embarrassed for the church this week. Not just redeeming grace, but just for the church generally. I've been grieved and embarrassed I've watched Christians blast others for how they voted. I've seen Christians foolishly tell others, if you don't like it, move to Canada. I've seen Christians arrogantly dismiss the genuine fears and anger of others. The fallout, not just in the nation, but in the church has been ugly to witness. There are people in this room There are people in this room that I know voted for Trump, some enthusiastically and some holding their nose with reluctance. Some in this room are never Trumpers. Some of you in this room voted for Clinton. Some in this room voted a third party this time and some in this room didn't vote at all. But listen, how a person voted should never be the criteria for which we love and care for them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Two things I wanna say about loving others, and this will be the longest point, so don't panic when it's like 11.40 and I'm still on point two. Sorry, I've been out for two weeks, I got some time to make up. 
One, love one another. We did a series not too long ago on the one another's. We're called to love one another. And this is more in-house. This is more believer to believer. We're called to love one another. We're not called to see each other through political lenses. We're, we're called to see each other through blood-washed lenses. John 13, verse 34 says, Jesus says this to his disciples, just as I have loved you, you, are, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That, that phrase in there, by this, by this love that you have for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that in many cases, not all, not most, but in many cases, there's been some confusion on behalf of the world of what true disciples look like this past week. Because I'm not sure that as Christians, we've got the love one another commandments down pat too well. Friends, just a reminder, the world is watching us. The world's watching us. They're watching what we say to one another at work. They're watching how we communicate within our own families. They're watching the things that we post on Facebook or Twitter. They're watching. They're listening and they're making conclusions about the faith based upon how we love one another. Friends, has your treatment of other brothers and sisters in Christ demonstrated your commitment to Christ or your commitment to yourself? Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter two, verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And then notice what he says. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. How many of us have, in humility, counted others more significant than ourselves and been willing to listen? Been willing to see others' interests as important, if not more important, than our own? Friend, again, how you speak to and about one another speaks volumes. It's okay to disagree. I have pretty strong convictions about this election and how about going about voting and all of those things, but I've had other faithful brothers and sisters that dis disagreed with me. It's okay to disagree, but it's not okay to allow unity to dissolve. Friends, our Christian faith will be judged based upon how we live. You can like that or not, it's true. You can say, well, they shouldn't do that. Well, they're going to. And we must demonstrate the reality of God in our lives in order for our message to be heard. And that must be seen in how we speak to each other and how we care for each other. I, there's no more urgent time for the church to live distinct in this world. Francis Schaeffer put it this way, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. 
Christian community is the ultimate apologetic. Whether you like it or not, and whether you wanna argue it's true or, or they shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that, here, here's the reality. How you love each other says a lot to unbelievers. We must love one another. Number two, we, we must have love for neighbor. We, we've sung about it. We've, we've heard it quoted already this morning from Matthew 22 that, that we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. Friends, those are easy words to say, aren't they? Love God, love neighbor. In fact, one cannot be detached from the other. To love neighbor is a manifestation of loving God. And if you truly love God, you're going to genuinely love your neighbor. They're, they're connected. You can't just do one or the other. You can't just pick one. They're, they're, they're together. Summary of the law. Love our neighbor. You know, Jesus demonstrates that point vividly through the parable of the Good Samaritan and how far we are to go in loving our neighbor. But I want you to think through this for a moment. I, I'm pretty convinced in my own life and the life of many Christians, I can't speak totally for you, so you have to, this is for you to, to evaluate with your own heart before the Lord. But I think that we have a hard time applying love for neighbor consistently. Here's the reality. There, there are many who are struggling with this election. And while some of you, some of us, may not share the same struggles or fears or anxieties or even anger, we are still called to love our neighbor. And part of loving neighbor means that we are to show empathy and concern to others' fears and worries and concerns, even when we may not understand it. We may not understand why someone seems so distraught. But I do know that there are many in our nation and many in our communities and many in our workplaces and many in our neighborhoods and even many in our families that aren't feeling too good this week. There are many in this room that aren't feeling too good. And the last thing that Christians need to do is brush off their fears and concerns as needless or overreactive. If your temptation when you hear there are many who are fearful and worried is to roll your eyes, friends, you've got a long way to go when it comes to loving neighbor. If your, your, your default response is to, oh, they just need to get with it or get over it, that's not a godly response. It's not an empathetic response. That's not a caring response or a loving response. I didn't say you had to agree with them. You might not understand or even agree with many of their conclusions, but you are still called to listen and show that you care. I love what one Southern Baptist pastor, H.B. Charles Jr., recently said. He said, we are called to weep with those who weep. It doesn't lead, that, that phrase in the Bible, we are called to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. It doesn't lead with telling us whether or not they should be weeping. 
or whether or not they should be rejoicing. Love of neighbor. What about your unbelieving coworker that thinks the world's about to end? What do you do to them? What do you say to them? What about that friend or family member who's pro-choice or supports LGBT rights? You know that clearly are not in the Bible, forbidden. Friends, how you respond to them not only says something about you, it speaks volumes about the gospel you claim to embrace. Again, I'm not saying you should agree with them. I'm not saying that the things that they're burdened by should become your burden so that you agree with them. Not at all. What about your Muslim neighbor? Because these things are tough to wrestle with. But then about what about the person that thinks there's legitimate concern about those who want to come into our country and do us harm, and there is. It goes both ways. It's not just a one-way street, is it? Yeah, we need to be empathetic towards those who are fearful, but at the same time, we need to be empathetic towards those who are fearful for other reasons, such as physical harm and danger and terrorists and those kinds of things. Friends, love for neighbor means that we move toward each other, not polarize each other. Love for neighbor doesn't mean that you should lose your convictions biblically. We should stand on the authority of God's word. We should preach the, the authority of scripture. We should hold people accountable to what the truth is. Love for neighbor also means that we must act. Instead of waiting on government to establish policies, friends, we are called as Christians to do a lot of what the government, we expect the government to do. We need to be a voice in our culture and put action to our words. And, and this is just a conviction of mine. I think while we're good at talking about justice, I think we're not too good at applying it. This past week, Jonathan Lehman posted an article called, The Election is Over, Let's Get Political, where he urged believers to be faithful to our kingdom mandate. Now, this is a long quote, so you gotta track with me here, okay? So what he said, this is found on the Gospel Coalition website, The Election is Over, Let's Get Political. You can read the entire article there. This is what he said. He said, the local church is a model body politic for the world. It is the most political of assemblies since it represents the one with final judgment over, with whom final judgment uh, presides over presidents and prime ministers. Together we comfort, condemn, and call nations with the light of our king's words and the saltiness of our lives. Paul asked the Jews of his day, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? And then he went on to say, I've got a few questions of my own and this is where I thought it was helpful just for my own heart to, to think through these things. Love for neighbor, keep that as the broad point here. You who call for immigration reform, do you practice hospitality with strangers? Those of us who vote for family values, do you honor your parents and love your spouse self-sacrificially? Those of us who speak against abortion, and rightly so, do you physically and emotionally defraud your girlfriend? Let worldly ambition delay having children 
Never make it home in time for the soccer game. Quietly acquiesce to abortion itself when push comes to shove. Or do you embrace and assist the single mothers in your church? Do you encourage and pursue adoption? You who talk about welfare reform, do you give to the needy in your congregation? You who proclaim that all lives matter, who are your friends? Do they all look like you? You who rightly lament structural injustices, do you work against them in your own congregation? Do you rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? You who fight for traditional marriage, do you submit to your husband or love your wife and cherish her as you would your own body and washing her with the water of the word? You who are concerned about the economy and the job market, do you obey your boss with a sincere heart, not as a people pleaser, but as you would obey Christ? You who care about corporate tax rates, how do you treat your employees? Do you threaten them, forgetting that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven? and that there is no partiality with him? You who opine on social media, do you gladly share the Lord's Supper with a church member who disagrees, and do you pray for their spiritual good? Now, there's a lot to think through in that one lengthy quote. Friends, that's starting to get at the heart of what it means to love one another and to love our neighbor. Because loving our neighbor doesn't mean that we agree with our neighbor. It means that we move toward them. It means we listen to them. It means that we love them and care for them in the ways that we're called to as Christians. And sometimes that does mean taking a firm stand. Friends, we're called to love others. Just all of the conversations that I've seen, not all of them, many of them, have shown anything but love. Number three, remember your citizenship. You know, a week ago today, I flew back into the country from our short-term trip to Moldova. And there's always a sense of comfort and ease that, that kind of overcomes me when I come back into our country and walk through customs and go through that line in the airport. And, and many times they'll say, welcome home and those kinds of things. It's a, it's a reassuring, comforting experience. We're blessed in so many ways in this nation. We're benefiting right now as we are in this room gathered, hearing the word of God unfolded and, and gathering to worship. We are benefiting from so much of what we enjoy in this, this nation. And I am thankful for the men and women who've served us and continue to serve many of you so that we can enjoy these freedoms. There's a lot wrong with this nation, but there's a lot for which we must be thankful. But it's not our home. America is not our home. In John chapter 18, verse 34, Jesus was before Pilate, and he was asked if he was the king of the Jews, to which he responded, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Friends, if this is not Jesus' home, then neither is it ours. 
The writer of Hebrews speaking, to the, speaking about the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 said, these all died in faith. He's talking about the faith hall of fame, Abraham and all of those people there in Hebrews chapter 11. But in verse 13, he says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Friends, whether you think America is great or will be great again or that it's never been so great, there's one thing that is true of us all. We are longing for a better country. And it's never going to be here. Pastor Mark Dever, who's pastor at a church right on Capitol Hill, has said this. Before and after America, there was and will be the church. The nation is an experiment. The church is a certainty. Friends, here's the good news for us all, if you're in Christ. Our citizenship ultimately resides in heaven under a king who has no term limit. He rules and he reigns, and he is establishing for us a place that is far better and eternal. However, while we wait for that better country, and while we are strangers and exiles here on this earth, we do have a responsibility to seek the welfare of our communities and our cities and our nations. Reminded of what the prophet Jeremiah said to the Jews that were in Babylonian exile. Chapter 29 of Jeremiah, verse four, he, he tells the, the Jews in exile, not in Israel, they're now in exile under the regime of, of the Babylonians. He tells them to build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For, its, for in its welfare, you will find welfare. That's a good word. Seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. Friends, we're in exile, waiting for that better country. And we're not to wait with our heads stuck in the sand, just wishing everything would go away. No, we're, we're to fight for the good of our fellow humanity. We're, we're to fight for justice. We're to, we're to fight for the good of our neighbors, our family members, our friends, our communities, our cities. And while this is not our ultimate home, we should care for the place that God presently has us. We should be a voice speaking into society. We should be a, 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 a force fighting for the marginalized and the oppressed. We should seek the good of our schools. We shouldn't want to see our schools fail. We should seek the good of our schools. We should seek the good of our neighborhoods, community centers. We should, we should care. We should vote our consciences pray for leaders to rule in righteousness so that we would all know what peace is in this earth. 
is remember your citizenship. It doesn't belong here if you're in Christ. And may that help you as you walk forward, whether exuberant because of what this week has brought or whether fearful. Friends, we're not home yet and we have a better country awaiting us. Which leads me to the last and final point. We should be hopeful. We should be hopeful. Quoted it many times this morning already, but the psalmist proclaimed, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Those of you who are enthusiastic about this election, don't be too enthusiastic. Your hope is not in a billionaire turned president. Those of you who are angry and grieved, don't despair. Your hope is not in this world. Folks, we are called to embrace and proclaim a hope that is never secured and maintained on Pennsylvania Avenue. As we're called to embrace and proclaim a hope that was secured by a humble Galilean carpenter who was crucified by the Roman establishment. By the way, according to the predetermined plan of God. Why? So that your sin and my sin would be washed. So that we would be adopted into the family of God so that we would be established in Christ, given new hearts, given a new mind, given a new goal, and given a new home that we await. Friends, as Dr. Russell Moore put it so well, our rallying cry is not hail to the chief. It's Jesus is Lord. Friends, let's not forget who we are. In all of the political talks and debates, you can have those discussions. There are valid arguments across the spectrum. Have those conversations. But do so as a Christian. Let's not forget who we are. We are a people where there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, and yes, neither Republican nor Democrat. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. So let us live confidently under the banner of God's sovereignty. Let us love others consistently with our words and with our actions. Let us reflect our true citizenship as we await that better country and let us live in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ that was secured for us by a humble king whose rule and reign will last forever. Friends, we have much to be hopeful for. And as Christians, we are called to live out that hope before a watching world. And I know that maybe this message has created more questions in your mind than answers, but friends, I think when we truly take to heart what we hear in the scriptures, there's not a person in this room that knows Jesus that can't say yes. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do my best by the grace of God to love others, even when that means I have to think about things that I don't understand. 
I'm gonna remember that my, my citizenship, while I value my American citizenship, it's not my ultimate one. And I'm gonna live in hope because my hope is not in this world because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We wanna live in the world, but not of the world. And so friends, let's love one another well that God may be glorified and that the church may be a light, a city on a hill. And that city is not America. That city is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's let that light shine for the glory of God. Let's not bring darkness to bear. Let's bring light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you love us. We've not given you a good reason to love us. We've given you every reason to condemn us. But Father, you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son into this world so that whoever would believe in him, trust in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, this is a great gift that you have given the nations. It's a great gift that you've given us. And I pray that, Lord, we would be found faithful living in light of that truth, in light of that hope. Father, I pray that we would hear this morning clearly and that we would live faithfully. Father, you know our hearts. You know, Lord, where we have been fools. Lord, you know where we have misplaced our trust and hope. So, Father, would you convict us and change us? And Father, you know, Lord, where we have said right things and helpful things. God, help us to continue to be faithful in that way. Father, we, we would all confess this morning that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in a man or a woman that rules in some national way. Our hope is in the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. God, would you help us to love him? Would you help us to love one another? Would you help us to listen to one another? God, would you, would you just help us? We need your help. Lord, maybe we've said right things this week to other people. Maybe it's been right, but maybe the tone has been wrong. Maybe we've said hurtful things. Maybe we've accused people of being something that they're not. Maybe we've assumed and presumed on things that we really don't have the full picture of. God, would you help us to be a people that love one another well? And Lord, may that be a reflection of the love that we have for you. And Father, we realize that we would never have that love had it not been that you loved us first. So we thank you, Lord. Give us grace, we need it. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.